2: Hi, everybody. This is Charles W. Chuck Bryant here to talk about currency, specifically the September 18th, 2014 Stuff You Should Know episode, How Currency Works. Uh, I think this one was really cool because it's not just money. All kinds of currency, everybody. So that's why this is my pick. I hope you check it out and I hope you enjoy it all over again.
3: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry. All right? Yeah. That makes this stuff you should know.
2: You ever had one of those, uh, I, I don't know why I wanted one, but when I was a kid, I wanted one of those coin things you want on your hip to make change. <laughs> I wanted one of those worse than anything. Really? Yeah. I don't Do you think want I... To be
0: like a peanut vendor? I don't thing?
2: know. When I, when I was at Six Flags or whatever and I saw those things, I just thought it was boss. That's really funny. And I don't think I knew that you could buy them for like three bucks or else I would have bought a bunch of them.
0: Yeah, because there's not much to them. It's just like uh, the thing's not counting anything when you press it with your thumb. It's just just, releasing. Yeah, it releases. uh,
2: But each one, you know, your quarters, they have different sizes. So, you know, you can just, without even looking, you could go, here's three quarters, buddy.
0: (laughs) I know what somebody's getting for Christmas this year.
2: I just thought of that out of nowhere. I haven't remembered that since I was a kid. I was obsessed with those things for a little while.
0: Well, you know what you were technically obsessed with? A dispenser of currency.
2: (laughs) How's that? Teed that one up. Yeah. Yeah. Knocked it out of the park. I collected banks, too, which is a weird thing for a kid to do. Banks? Like piggy banks? Yeah, even though none of them were piggy banks.
0: What what was your favorite one?
2: Oh, man. I still have the collection. My mom's got them. Um, I
0: wonder if they're worth any money.
2: Nah, I doubt it. I mean, it was like a Garfield bank and a... And a, a... Opus the Penguin. Eric Davis. No. Was it Opus? From Bloom County? Yeah. Why am I blanking out on that? That was my favorite comic. I don't know. That sounds right. Man. I'm losing it, buddy.
0: So the Penguin from (laughs) Bloom County. We're going with that.
2: I was obsessed with Bloom County and then Change Counters. Nice. And Biggie Banks. Cool. That was my childhood. And Dale Murphy.
0: Not Eric Davis.
2: No. Who's that? He was for the Reds. Oh, the Reds player.
0: Yeah. No, I wouldn't. Number Reds
2: forty-four. Fan. He was great, though. I love yeah, Davis. Yeah, he was. As a non-Reds fan, I was an Eric Davis fan. I'm with you. What were you obsessed with?
0: I liked baseball. Baseball cards. Yeah. Did you collect um, anything? Mad magazines. Yeah, me too. Those are still, I think, at my dad's house. They better be. You still got them? Uh, what else did I collect?
2: I, I, I saved up my Sports Illustrateds for years too. Um, And I remember the first one I ever got had Muhammad Ali on the cover. That's how old I am. Wow. It was during his comeback when he was like fat and mustachioed.
0: Don't call it a comeback.
2: It was not. (laughs) Not much of one.
0: That's not how that goes. Uh,
2: How's that for a sidetrack to get us going?
0: I haven't even done the intro. Let's hear it. So the intro is as follows, Chuck. In uh, 2013, Mm -hmm. uh, New York Magazine, not the New York Times, not New Yorker, New York Magazine. (laughs) Yeah is an equally good publication. If not you ask Time me. Out New York, no. not the Village Voice, huh? All right, just New York Magazine. Yeah, um, which is actually where the movie Saturday Night Fever came from. It came from an article that was later admitted to be completely fabricated by the author. Oh, really? Yeah, in that magazine. Awesome. Anyway, New York Magazine ran a really interesting article in January called, um, or January 2013, called "Suds for Drugs," uh-huh. and it talked about how there's a huge black market. For Tide laundry detergent, specifically liquid Tide. In the United States? Yeah. What? They it's, not make it anymore? No, they make plenty of it, but <laughs> tons of it gets stolen. And the reason why is Tide is such an agreed upon great laundry detergent. Not by me. That any. Tide, yeah. and only Tide. Yeah. Like if you tried to use Gain or... Um, all or anything like that, <laughs> yeah. you would get turned away. But if you have a jug of Tide uh-huh. liquid laundry detergent, you can buy drugs in the United States with it. Really? It is agreed upon as a currency.
2: I had no idea. Yes. Even though you can just buy it in the store? Yeah. That's, see, that's the part I don't get.
0: Because if you're a crackhead and you steal a carton of them, then all of a sudden you didn't have to pay for this Tide. Right. And you can use it to buy drugs. Interesting.
2: I don't use any of that stuff.
0: And I don't mean to pick on just crackheads. If you're a junkie, same thing. Sure. If you
2: have a gambling habit? Yeah, we've man, we got uh we got a lot of crap from a couple of people by using about using the word junkie. Yeah, it's pretty derogatory if you think about it, I guess. Well, but it's a word with a definition which yeah. means something and that's what it means. I mean, it's not like we were just like slagging people.
0: Yeah, no. I I get what they're saying though. You're saying like it's just such a dismissive term of anyone who's addicted. Right. It really kind of flies in the face of the disease model of addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, hats I get off it. to the people who call us out on that. <laughs> I get it. Uh, but the point is, Tide is now a currency. As like, remember our prison episode where we talked about how honey buns are currency? Yeah. Same thing. Right. Cigarettes? Yeah. Currency. Deer skins? Yeah. Those were currency once.
2: That's where we get the word bucks from. I think what you're getting at, ooh, I can't wait to get to that stuff later. Okay. Etymology, I love that stuff. I do too. Um, I think what you're trying to say is that, or what you are saying, is that currency is nothing more than a medium of exchange and a substitute for something, a good or a service. Yeah. It is an agreed upon, that's the key. Yeah. It's got to be agreed upon. <laughs>
0: yeah, you can't be like, I'll give you five Lincoln Logs for <laughs> right. that car.
2: Well, that's what you do when you're a kid. Right. And you go, I don't think I want Lincoln Logs. And your buddy goes, oh, you do.
0: Right, but if the other person says, I, uh, those Lincoln, I don't want Lincoln Logs, then what you have are Lincoln Logs, not a currency, because it has to be mutually agreed upon, like you say.
2: Like dollar bills.
0: Yeah, literally. You know
2: me. I have gone off on this on our show about the, the amazing fact that this paper— we have all agreed is worth something, and that is the only reason it's worth something. That
0: people dedicate their lives to pursuing mm-hmm. paper is is as ephemeral as a cloud,
2: <laughs> almost.
0: Yeah, not the greatest analogy I've made, but it still kind
2: of <laughs> works. Uh, all right, so let's let's talk on uh, olden days and currency as a substitute for things. Um, what currency did was solve the problem. It allowed you to give change and make change.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a big one.
2: Because back in the day, if you had a uh, a bushel of corn and you wanted a chicken, you would go to your neighbor. Well, you had to find somebody that had a chicken that wanted corn. So that's the first problem. That's a problem. Um, but what if you, you do find someone, you're like, great, my neighbor's got a chicken, and I've got this corn. He and wants this corn. He wants the corn, but he says, you know what, this chicken is worth a lot more than that corn. Somebody's getting a bad deal until you can make change.
0: Yeah, because what if. I what guess if with he corn, says,
2: you could. That's not the best example because you could take out some of the corn.
0: Right. Let's say. Um, but you can't chop a chicken. Cows. Cow. Yeah. Well. You got a cow. <laughs> your neighbor has a chicken. And yeah. that's not an even trade. Yeah. But you just need one chicken. Mm-hmm. And your neighbor just needs one cow. You can't make change like that.
2: Can't make change.
0: So that's one of the first roles that currency fulfilled was. A way to make change, to make trade more equal.
2: Yeah, and before that, I think there were a lot of bad deals going down (laughs) out of desperation. You know, like if your family really needed that chicken for a reason, you might end up taking a, a bad deal just because you need that chicken.
0: You give your cow away for that chicken. Yeah. And then your family would berate you.
2: That's right. Where's the milk, honey?
0: Yeah, this is like the magic beans incident all over again. Can't
2: milk a chicken, honey. (laughs) <laughs> you get berated by your wife. Uh, another reason that currency uh, became popular is because it allowed you, for the first time, to really amass wealth because you can harvest all the corn you want, but that corn's going to go bad unless you can find a way to trade it. And a barn full of rotten corn right. does no one any good and it doesn't make you any richer.
0: Like, in in practice... Practically speaking, you would be an extraordinarily wealthy person if you had tons of corn.
2: In theory, yeah.
0: But like you said, it's going to go bad. Sure. So you could lose, all all your wealth would literally rot away. That's not the case with, say, a gold coin. Gold coins aren't going to go bad and deteriorate. So they're that stand-in for those enormous stocks of corn. Because you had all that corn, and then you traded it, for gold coins. Yeah. So what you did was you took your wealth of corn and stored it into something of equal value, in this case, gold coins.
2: Yeah, and that had a, a huge uh, impact on civilization because uh, the the most powerful people were not just the ones who held the political and military influence all of a sudden. If you could accumulate wealth, <clears throat> then you could buy that junk.
0: Yeah, it gave rise to the merchant class.
2: And it democratized – is that the word?
0: Yeah. It democratized the world. It did, because before it was like you were born into a wealthy, noble family, and that's how you gain power. And if you weren't, T.S., that meant that you worked the land for this wealthy family. But if you can sell something and get money in exchange for it instead of a cow for a chicken.
2: Yeah. You save that junk up, and you buy someone to go kill that landowner, and then that's your land. Right. (laughs) Democracy. Democracy at work. (laughs) Uh, there are generally uh, considered to be four categories of um, currency. You have commodity currency, coins, paper money, and electronic currency these days. And in the commodity system, it is uh, a placeholder, like we said, um, for purchasing power, but it is also has value as a thing because corn is valuable. Um, it's not just a piece of paper. Right. Or in the case of the Aztecs their little cacao beans were valuable. Mm-hmm. And so they used those as money. But um one of the problems with that is if the person you're trading with doesn't find that valuable then it's worthless.
0: Yeah, usually within a society everyone will find that commodity currency valuable, like the Aztecs with cacao. Yeah, they love this stuff. They made chocolate out of it. It was the elixir of the gods That's
2: kind right. of stuff. They drank it, right?
0: Yeah. Montezuma drank like 20 or 40 cups of it a day. Until he died. From drinking too much chocolate. <laughs> yes.
2: Um, but
0: the conquistadors who came didn't value cacao beans at all. So rather than trade, they just took everything.
2: Yeah. And Dumped the cacao beans because it was worthless to them,
0: yeah, but that is a good example of a commodity based currency like even if even if everything else falls apart, that cacao bean still has value in that you can make chocolate out of it right in the society, chocolate is valued, ergo they value the cacao beans, so you That's can right. use it as currency, plus in this case, cacao beans um, are easy to carry, so they 're portable, yeah, and they're plentiful and small. So you can make change with them.
2: Yeah, but not everything was the cacao bean in commodity currency. A lot of stuff is perishable, more perishable. Um, a lot of, like, cattle is super bulky. You can't carry on a bunch of cows. Goats. Goats. Um, but nevertheless, that is a form of commodity currency. It's just had its downsides. Yeah, like the goat has has value in and of itself. Yeah, cute. Cute, milk, meat. And cute. Hair. And cute. <laughs> And very cute. I'm going to get one of those pygmy goats one of these days. Yeah. It's going to happen. You're going to come over to my house, and the little goat's going to bounce in the room, clip-clop, you're have, going to go, what the? Have you ever seen <laughs> Bee the Lamb? Uh, I showed you that, right? Dude, I've, that's probably my top five, top five all-time favorite. It's one of the most adorable things yeah.
0: ever. If you don't know Bee the Lamb, just go, bee? <laughs> go type that into <laughs> YouTube right now. Oh, is it a lamb?
2: I think so. I thought it was a pygmy goat. I think it's a lamb. Jerry says lamb. All right, I win. (laughs) All right, here's some cacao beans. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, Chuck.
0: Okay, we're back. Let's see if we can get the mojo back again.
2: All right, the mojo is still flowing because our message break in reality was only two seconds long. (laughs) That's our dirty secret. Uh, Coins is our next form of currency, and they uh, were first minted uh, minted in Lydia, which is modern Turkey. And their king, uh, Croesus, Croesus, said, you know what? I'm going to make these little small metal ingots. I'm going to stamp them with our emblem, and it's 640 BC, and this is called coins, and it's worth something. And the Greeks said, this is great. And the Romans said, this is great. And we're we're going to make ours out of silver and gold. So it's actually worth something. Although when you think about it, that's just, you know, worth something because someone says it's worth something. Gold? Sure, all of it. Yeah, I read this
0: Forbes article that basically said all currency is a fiat currency. So what does that mean? fiat currency means that it has value by fiat, like um, the fiat of the king, a decree. Right. Um, and it says the government or the king says this has value. It's it's 97% gold. It's valuable. So go trade it as such by fiat, right? Yeah, if you think about it, the only things that really have real value are like food and water. Pretty much.
2: You know? Like
0: a, you can make the case that a commodity-based currency like cacao beans yeah. isn't necessarily a fiat currency because it does have inherent value that anybody can use. But gold is, yeah. it's not really that valuable. It's not really that useful, especially in like a pre-industrial
2: society. I wonder if gold first became valuable because it was shiny and... and Literally, yes. They could make pretty things with it.
0: Honestly, yes. Interesting. I think that's exactly why, because it's so malleable, you can't make tools out of it. Yeah. Uh, Even today, it's not that useful. I mean, they use it in some solid-state electronics and things, but it's not... It's more valuable simply because it's gold. Crazy. Yeah. So... Even if it's backed with gold, it's technically still a fiat currency.
2: I've never heard that term. F-I-A-T? Uh-huh. So what is the fiat car all about? Does that mean it's just special because they say it is? I guess so. (laughs) All right. Um, In China, I thought the Chinese made the first coins, but... um, The
0: Grabster says no.
2: Yeah. Grabster says that it happened at about the same time it did in the West, uh, 5th century B.C. They started out oddly, with uh, tools like knife shapes as currency Mm -hmm. with little holes drilled in them so they could keep it on a string, and they just shrank over the years till it was about the size of a coin. Right. Which I
0: thought was odd. But they kept the hole in there. Yeah. So even until, like, the mid-19th century, the Chinese coins still were just these little round coins with a hole in the middle, so you could string them on a string.
2: Yeah, that's because they didn't have the little coin dispenser on the hip. No. (laughs) They would have thought of that.
0: (laughs) Which is surprising, because the Chinese invented practically everything. Yeah, that's true. Except the coin dispenser. The hip-mounted coin dispenser. Did they even still make those? Sure they do. I'll bet. All right. I'm going to buy one. Um, if not, Archie McPhee probably makes it in an ironic version. So, Who's that? They make... Um, you've seen all their stuff. They make, like, funny... Like... They were the original, probably, like, bacon um, air freshener, car oh. air freshener. They make stuff like that.
2: They make... Uh, a horse head. Gotcha. They outfit... Um, they All their stuff's in Urban Outfitters. Probably. In the tchotchke section. Yes. All right. I hate them then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of the big uh, impacts of coins was now the government actually controlled the money supply and could manipulate it and say what it's worth yeah and roman emperors were dumb and said you know what we're just gonna reduce the amount of precious metal in some of these because that makes us richer but that devalued things such that it ended up being one of the factors in their downfall
0: yeah they didn't quite understand how it worked and it took thousands of years for anybody to figure out really how it worked but Basically, if Do you we have, still know how it works,: Kind of you know? I think we have a better grasp than the early Roman emperors.
2: Did, yeah, that's true.
0: Because they would say, "Hey man, I've got a ton of gold, and my predecessors would make 10,000 gold coins out of a ton, but I, being as clever as I am, I'm going to make 20,000 gold <laughs> coins out of this ton, yeah. and double my money. But rather than double the money, it devalued the currency and led to the decline of the Roman Empire. That's right. Like you said, but that's how.
2: Yeah, and uh, after that, um, it took a while for coins to come back in fashion all the way to the Renaissance because in the Dark Ages, uh, because of a lot of that uh, stuff, people didn't trust coins.
0: Right, and for good reason because there was a someone behind it who could decree the percentage of gold in yeah. that coin. The thing is, is um, and we'll get to this later, W- w- the the powers that be can decree value, but ultimately it's up to the general public, the people who are trading in these things, yeah. to determine really how valuable they are. And there's something called perception of value that has to do with just how valuable a currency is or not. And we'll talk about it in a minute, but that's what happened in Rome.
2: Yeah. Uh, next up, we have paper money, or as they call it, folding money, <laughs> here in the South. And um, <laughs> They, uh paper money was first developed by the Chinese uh, as well, and they used, um, like you said, uh, buckskin sometimes, mm-hmm. um, bark, parchment, and it was a bill of payment. And uh leather was also used in Europe around 1100, which... Uh, Didn't really catch on then. No, I think leather money would be kind of cool, though. Leather money, sure. If, you know, if you hate animals. <laughs> <laughs> right. What better way to kill more of them?
0: I wonder how much a cow would have been worth then.
2: Yeah, because you... you well, they were using the skin for other stuff anyway. Yeah. Good point though. Uh in Sweden in sixteen sixty one they issued uh paper money, but they didn't quite understand it either and flooded the market with it, which made it uh, almost worthless as well. Still still, still to hadn't figure it figured out. it out. <laughs> yeah. Um I get the the, the uh <clears throat> I get the desire though, like, oh everyone says this stuff's worth something. Yeah. Let's just print a ton of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: it, so it didn't catch on after the Swedish experiment of the 17th century, but it didn't take too much longer. It was the 18th century when paper money finally did catch on, and it was based on the practice of goldsmiths at the time. Yeah. Where if you gave them some gold, they'd give you basically an IOU. Say they were making something out of the gold or they were hanging on to the gold for you. You had what what it amounts to a promissory note saying... You bring this IOU back to me, and I'll give you this amount of gold in return. Yeah, It was basically the first what's called gold-backed paper currency. And once banks figured out just how that could work in theory and in practice, anybody could start issuing currency.
2: Yeah, and um, money was backed by gold, uh, even right here in the U.S., all the way up until 1971. Um, Every dollar had, well, not in theory, every dollar had... Gold somewhere.
0: Not just dollars. Pretty much any paper currency in the world at the time was backed by gold, silver, some sort of precious metal.
2: That we all agreed was valuable because it's shiny.
0: Yeah. But there was a stock somewhere in the world that you could trade your paper money for that value in gold.
2: Yeah. You could go somewhere to the gold uh, tradery
0: mm-hmm.
2: and say, here, I want all this money in gold.
0: Did you know that's what the... Um, the Wizard of Oz is about. It's an allegory for the gold standard.
2: Oh man, it's... Depending on who you ask, it's about 10 different things.
0: It's an allegory, a populist allegory for the gold standard. I
2: just posted an article about uh, like 10 different theories on what Wizard of Oz means on our Facebook page.
0: Mine is right.
2: And uh, yours is right, and everyone else is wrong. Thank you.
0: (laughs) That's all I ever want to hear from you.
2: I know. Um, (laughs) So now we're on to e-money, which is... uh, it seems like something super new, but it actually came about after World War II when um, banks started recording their information uh, of the day onto magnetic reels yeah. and taking it to the Federal Reserve Bank. And all of a sudden they said, you know, we don't need these silly $10,000 bills yeah, because we can just record this all electronically. And all it took then was a wire connection and trust for people to trust that this really is money, even though I'm not seeing any money.
0: Right, right. And that is the real distinction of it, because with a electronic transfer, it, it, originally you're transferring information about money. Like I will, I have a hundred thousand dollars over here. Here's a that of I officially it. <laughs> give to you. Yeah. And so that that electronic transfer becomes a promissory note in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and they figured out that they can do this after they realized that money in and of itself isn't valuable, so we can just do this whole thing electronically. And like you said, they did have $100,000 notes, and apparently there's some in circulation still. There's a couple hundred of them in circulation. They had five hundred, one thousand, ten 1000 10000 and $100,000 bills. There's a really neat Mental Floss article that you can read called A $100,000 Bill? The Story Behind Large Denomination Currency. And it talks all about that, but it was prior to the magnetic tapes that were passed from bank to bank or that recorded this information, <clears throat> this is how banks would settle up transfers through $10,000, 100000 bills.
2: Yeah, and the $100,000 um, has Woodrow Wilson on it, and they only made those for about three weeks. But um, that was never like in the public. That was just between banks. Right. Like no, It was never in circulation.
0: It's still, they're still around from what I understand, though.
2: Yeah, there was um in 19, I'm sorry, in 2009 there were less than 400, 500 dollar bills, 1000 dollar bills, 5000 dollar bills and 10000 dollar bills um all between like 3 and 400 still in circulation, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it's they're like usually worth frame now, you
0: know. But they were way more than their face value. Um, yeah, this Mental sure. Floss article points out that if you have a pristine $10,000 bill, yeah. it's worth uh, at least 10 times that.
2: Wow. And so they all had different presidents throughout the years. It wasn't like a single version of it. Uh, there was a bunch of different versions of all those except for the 100000
0: Yeah, it was always Wilson, right?
2: Yeah, because they just printed it for three weeks. <laughs> Wood, Woody. <laughs> um. I wonder why he got that honor. Yeah, I don't know. Because he was money. <laughs> he didn't even know it. So uh, with electronic money, a- another few things really helped cement that as a as a viable thing. Uh, one was the first credit card in 1950, Diners Club said, you know what, rich businessman, here's a piece of plastic so you can impress your friends by not even carrying cash mm-hmm. and uh, pay for whatever you want with this thing, and then we'll charge you some interest, and then you'll pay us back.
0: Yeah, and we got even further from the commodity
2: by saying,
0: now, you're not even using cash, Yeah, we're using electronic promissory notes. By yeah. charging this, that's the promissory note.
2: And then they realize, hey, this shouldn't be just for rich dudes. Yeah. Because... We can financially cripple everybody. <laughs> exactly. This interest thing is really neat. So everyone should have a credit card. And uh, today there's over 200 million visas, uh, which started in 1958. Uh, then the Social Security Administration started doing uh, e-deposits all the way back in 1975, mm-hmm. and people kind of got used to the idea that, all right, I see it's in my bank account now, so I trust it. Yeah. Which is a big step forward.
0: Yeah. It took a little while to catch on, but then now it's like, the Grabster points out, people started paying bills, transferring money between accounts, and sending money electronically without ever even touching it. Yeah. Which is true. Like, I hadn't thought about that, but there's plenty of money that... that I earn and spend that's just... Like, I'm, it's never physical, ever.
2: That's all my money. Yeah. I almost never have or use cash. Yeah. Like, I get paid electronically. It goes to a bank number. Mm-hmm. And then I have a American Express that I pay for things with. <laughs> and then I pay for that electronically. Right. <laughs> and I'm just trusting that this is... As long as the lights are on, I guess everything's working out.
0: Right, exactly. Bas- and basically, it's like the future, like what everybody talks about. In the future, we're not going to have money. We're going to have I credits. Know. Well, the future's here. Apparently, 8% of the world's currency is in hard, like, currency.
2: This all sounds so dangerous when you start talking about it like that. Like, all it takes is one big crash of electronic crash. Yeah. And what if they were like, all that money that you thought you had, it's, it's not here now. Right. We don't know what happened to it.
0: It's, it's entirely possible. Uh, remember, that's why they have the FDIC, though.
2: Yeah, that's in true. In the United States, at least. Remember the early days of internet purchases? How distrustful we all were? Yeah. Like, I'm not putting my credit card. I'm not typing that thing in. Right. And it never occurred to us that we hand it to, like, a waiter or, a you know, whoever that can do anything with it.
0: And then it finally just became less important just because so many people were doing it that the chances of your credit card being stolen... Yeah. Were um, lower, coupled with the, the fact that it became evident that credit card companies were willing to just like wipe clean debts accrued like that. Sure. Illegally. Yeah. Yeah. It made people a lot, a lot more trusting of it, I guess.
2: Yeah. I had a lady uh, in front of me at this grocery store the day that wrote a check, and I was just like. Oh,
0: were you just like. I know.
2: Oh, I felt like a jerk because I had to wait an extra any longer? Like, minute. But I did want to say, like, you know, there's a better way of doing that now. Yeah. Ma'am. Checks. And uh, I can't remember the last check I wrote. It's been years and years and years since I've written a check. For me, it's usually like
0: like a government thing, like a tag or something. Tag tax or something. Yeah, I do all that with my card, too. Hmm. Uh, And then, of course, if you want to talk about the bleeding edge of electronic money, um, e.g. Bitcoin and that kind of thing, you should go listen to our Bitcoin episode, which we're told was pretty good.
2: Yeah, I think... uh, even the guys from Pod on Pod reviewed our show and they, they listened yeah, to they the Bitcoin, Bitcoin episode and said we did a good job of explaining it. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
3: Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene will
2: much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you hide the oxygen and
0: vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man. Uh, Marie is a wiser
2: woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas.
3: Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano!
1: Huh? Oh!
3: Jean! Run! So travel before it's too
2: late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done we dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result it's a podcast about women their stories and how their pivot became their success listen to she pivots on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts <laughs>
0: So, Chuck, we were talking about the gold standard and how yes. that's what the Wizard of Oz is about. Yes. And um, prior to that, with the gold standard, it was, I mean, inflation happened. The price of gold fluctuated. So, therefore, the price of anything pegged to it, like the dollar, would fluctuate too. With When we abandoned the gold standard officially in 1971, but prior to that, I think in the 30s is when it really started, um, we really took a huge leap of faith. Yeah. Because there's nothing backing it anymore. Like there's a huge, it's a myth that you can take your dollar bill and turn it in for gold. They will, some guys in white coats will come and lock you up in a padded room for a little while.
2: They said you can come and buy this gold ring with your cash. Pretty much, you can buy gold bullion with it, but you can't. That's not a trade.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we're going to charge you some fees for that too. Um, So once we abandoned the gold standard, it was a big leap of faith because, um, as Milton Friedman put it. Quote, the pieces of green paper have value because everybody thinks they have value. Yeah. And as long as we all think together and believe together, they will stay valuable. But there are certain times or certain occasions and events when we all believe that things become a little less valuable, that currency is a little less valuable than at other times. Right. So this perception of value can have an impact on the value of currency. And the Grabster gives a pretty good example. It's when we deflate or devalue currency relative to other currencies. Yeah. Which we'll do sometimes because we want to attract that currency's native investors over here in the U.S. Right. So, like, if right now you can buy five francs to the dollar. Euros. Five euros to the dollar. Yeah. um, And we say, well, we want to encourage more investment in Europe. So, we're going to let the dollar devalue. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're going to make it so it's equal to three euros, and then we'll stabilize it. Well, that'll encourage more people in Europe to invest in the United States because the euro now has more buying power relative to the dollar, but everyone in the, in the United States goes, WTF? Yeah. We got all these dollars, and now it's worth less because you just told us that you're going to make it worth less Relative to the euro. Nothing really happened to the dollar, right. but everybody agreed, literally overnight, that the dollar is less valuable now. Yeah. Because it was devalued. That's one way that, that currency can fluctuate these days.
2: Yeah, I wish I had a better understanding of uh of, the, of when people say what the dollar is worth. Sometimes that just makes my head spin.
0: I have one for you. You're going to love this, man. Let's hear it. The Big Mac Index. Oh, God it's It's exactly what you just said. if you want an understanding of it, there is a guy in uh, 1986 who wrote in The Economist, basically the big Mac index and
2: and it says,: yeah, we have covered this in uh, one of them. big bitcoins, yeah
0: We may have done it in their stuff super stuff guide to the economy then
2: that was eighty years ago though it
0: was yeah but well, so we'll go over it again. The Big Mac index says the price of an ind- of a big Mac. Relative to the price of a Big Mac in another country, right? So it's basically saying you can, and it's tongue in cheek, but it actually does kind of work, right? You can you can show the buying power, the purchasing power of one um, currency relative to another based on how much a Big Mac costs in each country. La Big Mac. And once you once you see it and 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 look at it like that, you go to the Economist and type in the Big Mac Index, and it'll bring this up, and it's an interactive scale. Yeah. Um, which makes it awesome. Yeah. And you understand relative purchasing power. Well, I should spend some time on that site.
2: Thank you. and It'll make me hungry.
0: So then the other way that things can devalue is with supply. And that is just basically supply and demand. Like when there's a lot more money available, it by nature becomes less valuable.
2: Yeah. Demand is high. Prices go up. Demand, uh, supply is high. Prices go down.
0: Right. So that's inflation and deflation. Bed goes up, bed goes down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. I guess we should answer this. Are you watching the uh, Simpsons every episode marathon?
2: I've tuned in some here and there. But what I've really enjoyed is the influx of uh, articles about like the best seasons, Mm -hmm. the best episodes. Yeah. It's really like a trip down memory lane.
0: I do not have FXX, and so therefore I'm bereft.
2: Yeah, but you've seen them all anyway.
0: Yeah, but it'd be so nice to see them again like this, you know? Yeah, I mean,
2: they're running them nonstop, like you wake up at 3 a.m. and it's on.
0: I know. Don't think I wake up at 3 a.m. and realize that I'm missing a (laughs) Simpsons right then.
2: Well, you caught bed goes up, bed goes down.
0: That's because I love the Simpsons. Exactly. So uh, we talked about inflation and deflation, but um, if you want to know more about that, you should check out uh, how much money is there in the world, our super stuff guide to the economy, stagflation. Those are all some good episodes we've done on that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, um, and we mentioned earlier, you know, I talked about I can see how you might be incentivized to just print loads of money if you want more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've covered in other shows why that's a bad idea. But never has it been more evident than in uh, post-World War One Germany. Um, they had, I mean, this is amazing stuff. I think Zimbabwe beat them eventually, didn't they? I couldn't remember. It's so Either Zimbabwe staggering. or Hungary. Well, no, I think it was Zimbabwe. Okay. Um, I don't know, maybe it was Hungary.
0: Remember Hungary had a revolution in the 40s that was...
2: Just staggering numbers of hyperinflation.
0: Yeah, but this is a pretty good example of hyperinflation.
2: Well, after World War I, Germany um, owed in war uh, reparations about $33 billion. In like 1919 (laughs) dollars. Yeah, and they didn't have that kind of money. So they said, well, let's just print a bunch of it uh, and see what happened. Um, It's not going to be backed by any kind of commodity. Um, and it resulted in hyperinflation to the extent where in 1923 it was called uh, the hyperinflation of the Weimar Republic uh, from June 1921 to January 1924. Uh, and it's because they funded the war through borrowing only. They didn't like raise taxes to pay for the war. Huh. They literally borrowed money to pay for World War I. And it resulted in uh, eventually $42 billion, billion, with a B, German marks, was equal to one penny of U.S. money. And I didn't think that could be right, but it's right. Yeah. Um, And it was so bad that they... uh, There was something called... A mental condition called zero stroke (laughs) that it caused, which is uh, when you're compelled to write endless rows of zeros. Oh, yeah. Because when you see some of these numbers, it just... You're like, is that even a number? Yeah. When you're trying to do these calculations. And there was an influx of zero stroke in Germany at the time. And uh, so I was wondering, like, how did Germany ever recover? They basically started over again and said, this isn't money anymore. We're going to start yeah. over, uh, and we're going to have a new bank issue something called... Uh, Deutschmarks? No, the um, Renta Mark. Hmm. And this is our new money. Not All that money is no good. To
0: start over from scratch.
2: Uh, but this is actually backed. There was a bank, uh, the Deutschen Renta Bank, mortgaged land and industrial goods to the tune of about $3.2 billion dollars like hard assets mm-hmm. that were backing this money. Yeah. And it worked, and it turned around almost overnight to the point where a U.S. dollar was uh, worth 4.2 rent-a-marks. It's a lot better than Instead of 4.2 billions. billion. Yeah. And uh, I guess everyone just got on board. So all right, that old money is no good. Wallpaper your walls with it, and now we have new money.
0: You know, um, a lot of historians credit that really difficult period that Germany was put through um or put itself through depending on who you ask after world war 1 is yeah. the reason why fascism was allowed to take hold there i believe it and the lead up to world war 2
2: cuz i mean when i say it stabilized it it stabilized uh the the money overnight but it still wasn't like they were still in bad shape mm-hmm. it, you know it took a while to dig dig out of that
0: did you see that thing i sent you on um um cowrie shells oh yeah A little bit. cowrie shells are sea sea snail shells. They're little tiny white shells that look porcelain. Yeah. And literally for about 2,000 years, um, they were used as currency throughout the world. And they came almost exclusively from the Maldives. Um, And they would, like, uh, if you were an Arab trader, you would go down to the Maldives, you would buy about a million... uh, cowrie shells for one gold dinar. Yeah. And then you'd go back uh, to India or go to India. Yeah. And you would sell 10,000 of them for a gold dinar. So you could just make a ton of money overnight. And then the further and further away they got from the Maldives and the closer and closer to China they got, which is this country that used these things like crazy as currency. They were worth less? They were worth more and more. Oh, more. Yeah. And the Maldives, it was just like you just scoop up baskets full of them, right. and they were not nearly as valuable, but as you got away from the Maldives, they grew more and more valuable, and they were used as currency literally until the mid-19th century. I mean, they started in, we have the earliest reference in about 350 BCE, Wow! and in the 1850s is when the, uh, the currency finally collapsed just because there were so many of them on the market. That's crazy. That people would, you know, they would pay using 500,000 cowrie shells, and you'd have to count out 500,000 calorie shells.
2: <laughs> and didn't they use them because they were like pretty and they were hardy and like mm-hmm. didn't break real easy and yeah. easy they were to carry portable, around? Yeah,
0: plentiful, small, so you could make change with them. Wow. Yeah, and people liked them, so therefore they became currency. But they lasted as currency for like 2,000 years.
2: Again, all you have to do is agree that something, although that's a weird thing because that's something you can just go out and find. If you're in the right part of the world. If
0: you're in the right, exactly. That's why they were less valuable in the Maldives, more valuable like in China. Right. So uh, you want to talk etymology?
2: Yeah, you said, what was the first one you said? The buck comes from from buckskin Mm -hmm. and the sawbuck. I don't know where, uh, sawbuck is a tenor, right? I believe so. Uh, The word fee comes from the German word for cattle, uh, fee, (laughs) V-I-E-H. Interesting, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Speaking of shells. (laughs) You know, uh, I believe Pacific Northwest tribes used wampum, wampum, yeah, which were white shells, um, and the phrase "shell out" comes from that. Like when you pay somebody in shells,
2: you were shelling out. I wonder if that's where "clams" comes from. Probably. What's your funny word for money? Beans, bones, rocks, simoleons. Simoleons. I tried to look up simoleon because. I think everyone knows that's the cartoon right. currency, but I couldn't find anything. It kept defaulting and saying, do you mean Somali money? <laughs> I was like, no, I mean Somolian." I think it's... Um, I, I even put cartoons and I, I couldn't find much of anything except, like I couldn't find an origin, like who made that up. Right. Let's say Napoleon since it <laughs> rhymes. <laughs> Maybe Chuck Jones. It's possible. We could ask our friend Jessica. She might know. Yeah. You saw Charles Schultz's granddaughter emailed us, huh? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, so now Chuck Jones's granddaughter and Charles Schultz's granddaughter are both Stuff You Should Know fans, huh? which is uh, pretty awesome. Yes. I'm waiting for a return email. It's like, you've got to give me some inside story here, please, about About, Grandpa. Right,
0: exactly. (laughs) Um, Do you want to know the etymology of simoleon? Do you have it? Yeah.
2: Man, how how did my Google uh, skills not pan out?
0: I am proud of you, Chuck.
2: Yeah, for not saying that. Yeah.
0: So, Simoleon is spelled S-I-M-O-L-E-O-N. It's an English word. All
2: right, that's where I got sidetracked.
0: They think that it is a late 19th century blend of Simone, which is apparently a French word for dollar, okay, and Napoleon. Really? Yeah.
2: And why was it exclusive to cartoons?
0: I don't know. But they think it came from New Orleans in the late 19th century. So, Simone... Um, was either dollar or sixpence coin. It was a British slang, hmm. and Napoleon. So I guess that's where Simoleon came from. Where'd you get
2: that? What's the website?
0: Uh, WordSense.eu. All right.
2: I believe that. .eu, that says it all.
0: They have a clean look to their website, which <laughs> makes me believe that they know what they're talking about.
2: Yeah, when you look at a website, you can get a lot of uh, information about its accuracy, just if it looks like a MySpace page from <laughs> 1993. Um I hope MySpace is around in 1993, because the pedants will write in. Yeah. there wasn't MySpace then. MySpace came about in 1994. <laughs> uh, and the word dollar itself, um, account in Czechoslovakia in a town called, uh, well, it doesn't matter where it was. He started <laughs> minting silver coins in 1519. Yakimov. And they were called uh, groshen, which was shortened to Talers, and Taler eventually became dollar in the mm-hmm. United States da. And we talked in the salt episode about how the word salary came from uh, salt. So I looked
0: again because I think you said that that wasn't true, that that's a myth, and it's not necessarily true that it's a myth. From what I can tell, it's just unproven. Gotcha. So in the first century, Pliny the Elder, the Roman historian, yeah, says it's a good beer too that that's what. The word salt came from was they used to pay soldiers yeah. in antiquity in salt, but he doesn't back it up, and they can't verify it.
2: That's a good story.
0: Yeah, it, at the very least it's a, about a 2,000-year-old story, so let's go with, yeah, it's true.
2: Yeah, I had a history teacher in college, my best history teacher ever, that said, never let facts get in the way of a good story.
0: Yeah, I've heard that.
2: He was a good guy. I can't remember his name. You might have had him. He was... uh Man, he was great. One of my first big inspirational teachers. Nice. In college, that is. I gotcha. So much so that I don't remember his name. <laughs> right. That one guy.
0: Uh, if you want to learn more about currency, you should listen to any number of our episodes on currency, including this one, again. Or you can type currency into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It'll bring up this article. And since I said search bar, it's time for a listener mail.
2: I'm going to call this rare shout-out. We don't do this a lot, Um, but I'm going to do it today because I like the cut of this dude's jib. Uh, My name is Jared Bagnall! Exclamation point. (laughs) I'm writing uh, to see if you could do a tribute to my wife, Brie Bagnall, in your listener mail. I'm a huge fan of you guys, but my wife is most definitely your number one fan. I can safely say that a few hundred of your listeners can be attributed to her alone. She has dozens of people hooked on uh, YSK, and from them, a dozen each. Uh, she's so excited every Tuesday and Thursday that your podcast comes out. She tells everyone about them. Uh, she's the nicest person in the world, caring, sweet, shy, and deserves some recognition for being so awesome. Our one-year anniversary is coming up. We got married in Jamaica, and uh, though it was an amazing experience, she is still bummed that we couldn't go with our family. Um, I, would like to see, uh, I would like to see if you could dedicate your listener portion uh, to her and to our anniversary So everyone can know that she's great. That's pretty nice, Chuck. Uh, Thanks, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. Um, Did I spell that right? No, you did not. How do you spell it? J e r r y.
0: Let's just get it on the record if we haven't before.
2: J e r i. That's right. Um, For the five percent of people who listen to Listener Mail. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys. Uh, This would be a great surprise for her uh, while running to your podcast to hear this tribute. So, Jared, number two fan, writing on behalf of Bree, number one fan. Happy anniversary. Way to go. Way to make it to the one-year mark. Yeah. I wish you many, many more years of happiness to come. We both do. Yes. I'm speaking for Josh, although. Thanks, man. Do you wish them happiness? Of course I do. Okay. You're like I'm eh. glad for them. Yeah.
0: Uh, if you want to take your chances to see if Chuck will give you or your loved one a shout-out on the episode, you know, the podcast, that's what I meant. Good luck. Uh, exactly. <laughs> You can try tweeting it to us at SYSK Podcast. You can uh, join us on Facebook.com/stuffyoushouldknow. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Stuff You
3: Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts
1: or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist.